Well, we welcome on you, all you who are new this morning. Thank you for being with us. And when you came in, you're given a bulletin. And in there, there are some notes that you can take out that will help you to follow along. There's some scripture in there. Uh, just in case you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We, we got you covered there. And then the scriptures will also pop out on the screen later. And then for us who call New Hope our home church and you've been serving and you've been a part of what God is doing, thank you so much in believing in the vision that God has for us. And many people are coming to know the Lord. Uh, Even our family and friends are coming to know Him. People that you would not even think of are in church today that you would never thought would ever come to church. And many of us who think that way, people think that way about us too. So never forget, we all need Jesus Christ. So you can take out your bulletins. We're in a series called More God, Less Me. And we're going to be talking about how Jesus heals guilt. I do want to welcome uh, Rob and Jan Hattam this morning. I think they're sitting here. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm so sorry. They're from our Northeast District, right? Northeast District. And so welcome. We wanted to say thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you, Pastor Alex and Berna, for bringing them. We really are honored to have all of you guys here this morning. All of our districts empowered by the Lord. So thank you. Well, we're going to talk about how Jesus heals guilt. And sometimes we'll walk into church and already feel guilty. Have you ever just walked in and then you looked at the title of the message and you said, Oh, great. Or you looked at it and said, Oh, great. My spouse will love this morning's message. Well, there's things that happen inside of us and decisions that we make that cause us to feel guilty. I remember when I first started to come to church I, and I would hear certain things being said. Oh, it would just hit my heart and I would feel that sense of guilt. But then I understood that it wasn't about how I felt or, or, or that guilty feeling. It really was about what Jesus was trying to do in my heart. And so if you came this morning and you feel that, oh man, they're going to talk about guilt. Let that be a way to draw us closer to God, not a way to disregard what God wants to speak this morning. Let that draw us closer to Him. Some time ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who got into a motorcycle accident and he actually lost one of his limbs. I think it was his left leg and they had to amputate. And so I asked him, I said, you know, what, what, is, the, what is the most difficult thing that you had to struggle with? What was the most difficult thing that you had to work through? Was it, was it your uh, physical therapy? Was it uh, getting around? Well, what was it? And he said, you know, physical therapy, that's, it's what it is. You, you're going to do that and you're going to learn some things. But he said probably one of the biggest struggles was was dealing with something called phantom pain. And many of us have heard that term before. But phantom pain is when your brain still thinks that that part that was amputated, it still exists. Your brain still thinks that it's there. And even though there's no nerve endings in your feet because it's no longer there... your brain still functions as if it were still there. And so he experienced pain in his feet, but he can't do anything about it because it's not there. Sometimes when he wants to, if there's an itch on his his calf, he can't scratch it because it doesn't exist, but your brain still thinks it does. And so he said that has been the biggest battle, phantom pain. It's actually pain that doesn't exist. 
Because wherever it is that's hurting doesn't exist. And I thought, you know, when it comes to guilt and shame, when we give that over to the Lord and He takes it, it's almost like our brain still keeps memory of it. Because even though we've given it to Him, once in a while it still comes up. Or someone will remind us of it. You know, I have family members who, because they know my old ways and have not seen me in years, and now we'll, you know, meet up again, we'll talk or whatever. They, they will say, you know, I know the real you. I know you're a pastor, but remember A, B, C, D, all of these things. You remember back then? And, I, and in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but that's no longer me. But they don't understand. But that guilt will come back up and I'll say to myself, but that's no longer me. I've given that over to the Lord. That's not me anymore. But for some reason, sometimes it comes back up. How do we deal with guilt and shame? And how do we deal with the guilt and shame that for many of us, we've even given that over to the Lord Himself. But for some reason, it keeps finding its way back into our hearts, into our lives, and into the way we think. It's almost like we have to retrain our brain. We have to rethink how we do things. We have to retrain how we respond to things and how we react, especially when things are brought up and and things that are said to us. In the Old Testament, when they would give offerings to God, they gave many offerings, but one of them was a thing called a guilt offering. In fact, even the priest himself, the high priest would have to take the offerings, the the sacrifice, and actually sacrifice for the sake of the guilt of the congregation or the guilt of the people. And what that would do, it it would cover the guilt that people had that they would not do a thing about. And it would actually cover the congregation, cover the people. And that was a guilt offering. Remember if you read the book of Job, that in the beginning when he was with his family, before catastrophe took place and he lost his family, that he would actually, over the weekend, in the early morning, offer up a sacrifice to God. And he said this, just in case one of my kids have sinned. It's like he was saying, there was a long weekend, and I know how kids are. They'll party hard, and just in case they sin, Lord, I pray that you receive this sacrifice, this offering to cover their guilt, just in case. And our parenting has not changed, hasn't it? If you have a young adult or a child, it's like you pray for them in the hopes that, okay, Lord, if they did anything, Lord, I pray in your mercy that you just cover them and that they're well protected by you. We still do the same thing. Why? Because of guilt. Now, guilt can be something like baggage that we carry around. And it's like this. It's like this little... Well, is it heavy, John? Let me see. Oh, boy, this thing is heavy. It's not. That was my special effect for the day. It's like carrying around this piece of luggage. And you carry it around everywhere you go. And in the beginning, you have to get used to it because it, you know, it has its own wheels. It does its own thing if you're not careful. But after a while, if you carry this thing around, you get used to it. You start to work with it. In fact, you start using this. If you go to the airport, you'll see this being used as tables. You'll be seeing this used as pillows, as even footrests. People will put their laptops on this. People will eat off of this thing. Oh, it becomes your best friend after a while. But you know, guilt can 
do this very same thing. The longer we carry around guilt, it weighs us down, but we get used to it. Then we start traveling with it. And then we take this guilt and all the baggage from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next. From one friendship to the next. From one job to the next. From one church to the next. Because we don't let it go. Or we're not willing to. And maybe some of us will say, you know what, Lord, I give you all this guilt, I give you the shame, and I let it go. And then we just leave it with Him. And then as years go by, for some odd reason, it just pops up back again. And it shows its ugliest face every time we think we've gotten rid of it. And maybe for some, it's just a memory now, and there's no pain now anymore. But for some of us... It's become phantom pain. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What the Bible is saying is there's going to be things in our lives that are sin, that we can't do a thing about because we can't, we can't pay for sin. Sometimes we try, we try to be good so that it can erase our sin, but we can't do that. Sin requires the penalty of death. And we can't, we can't pay for it. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to pay for the penalty of sin. But what we can do is lay aside an encumbrance, a weight. That it entangles us, it weighs us down when we want to live life to its fullest, as Jesus promised. But we, we walk around with it, and He says, this, this will not be sin, this encumbrance. There's things that we hang on to, like guilt, that it may not necessarily be a sin, but it's something that weighs us down. The Bible says we can lay it down. We can do that. And it's our option. It's our choice if we want to do that. See, guilt, guilt can cause so many problems more than just being in our lives. It causes us to think differently. It limits our options. In making decisions, guilt can do that. Guilt ruins relationships. Guilt causes me not to move forward. Guilt holds me down. And that's just with everyday life and in our spiritual life. But did you know that hanging on to guilt will also destroy us internally, physically? If we hang on to guilt, it changes the the chemical balance inside of our bodies. And so now, even from the inside out, it just starts to destroy our very own physical life. And so we develop all these ailments as a result of guilt. And we don't even know it. Why? Because we're used to carrying this around. It's a part of life already. Sometimes we don't even want to hang on to it, but we attach some rope to it so we don't have to hold it. And we say, I'm not dragging that thing around. It just must follow me. And then we just attach it. And then we walk around with it and it just drags. That's all it does. And you'll walk with it all day. And then when we get frustrated and we don't know why, we take it out on other people. And we have no idea why. Many times it's because we've been carrying our own baggage that does not belong in our lives. 
And then it ruins us from the inside out. The book of Proverbs addresses that on the health side. In Proverbs 17.22, it says, A joyful heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit, what does it do? What does it do? It dries up the bones. Yeah, it just destroys us from the inside out. That's what it does. It just destroys our health. And we don't want to be people who allow guilt to destroy our health. We don't, we, I, I know we don't want to be like that. But for some reason, it just keeps eating us up. It's like guilt does something to us. Have you ever, have you ever been watching TV and then you come across like a televangelist? And you change it quickly because if you start listening to it, then you feel guilty. What if he talks about something I'm doing? Then, oh, no, I don't want to hear it. So I, I change the channel. Or you come to one that um, maybe there's an orphanage or starving children and they're asking you for finances and you're like, oh, I don't want to listen because I, I know I'm not going to give. Or maybe you do give. The one that I have the most difficult time with are the animals one. You know, the, 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 the dogs and the cats and they're in the kennel and, and then they, they play the song. And, and you watch this thing and they don't show the dogs like... They show the worst ones. And they're sad. And boy, I feel so guilty because I can't do a thing. Like I have dog food outside, but I can't do a thing. And they're asking for money. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you're not asking me to give. But I feel like I'm supposed to. I feel guilty. And so I change the channel. So the guilt goes away. Then I go outside, I look at my dogs, and I say, but I'm taking care of my dogs. Just, just letting you know, Lord, I'm taking care of my dogs. They're happy. They're wagging their tails. It's like I try to find a way so I don't feel guilty. But did you know that that, that mechanism inside of us that causes us to feel that way can be a good thing? It can be a good thing. You see, the devil will use guilt to pull us away from God. But the Holy Spirit will use that to convict us to draw us closer to God. Same, same kind of feeling will start there. But are we going to let the devil have his way or are we going to let the Lord have his way? And that's the choice we got to make. And this morning, we want to look at some ways in how Jesus heals guilt. Because we all can live a life free from guilt and shame. Because of what Jesus did at the cross. And the first thing we can learn, and you can write this in number one if you're taking notes, to listen to His voice. Listen to His voice. You know, pay attention to His voice. When we're in church, when we're reading the Word, when we're, when we're pondering on the things of God, when we're thinking deeply on the things of God, when we're praying, listen to His voice. People aren't going to say their own thing. But they may even give you good advice that is from the Lord. we got to go back to listening to the Lord and obeying His voice. There's times where you're going to make a decision and you're saying, No, but this is what the Lord is saying. And it lines up with His word. And you move in that direction. And people may not understand. But you're listening to His voice. See, you and I will be bombarded with all kinds of voices. We have to make the decision to say, Lord, I'm going to listen to your voice. Why? Because you're the author and finisher of my faith. You understand what it means to go through this life, to run this life. But you also have, you have, you ran this race with endurance. And so give us that kind of heart that hears your voice. You see, guilt can be used for good. 
It can be used, and, and some of us will actually, uh, it, it can be good and, and not good in this kind of way, but we'll use it for good. When you're going down the highway and you see a police officer, you pretty much automatically will look at your speedometer or step on the brakes, slow down something. You'll panic. You'll think safety inspection, insurance card. You'll think of all of that. Do I even have my license? You'll think of all of those things. Because we know that if we get caught speeding, our insurance will go up or someone will get upset or I'll get a ticket for something else that you know I know I'm not covered by. And... and Guilt will do that. It will it'll almost like give a checklist of what we should have done or what we should be doing. Guilt can do that. But it only helps us in that way if we allow that to draw us closer to what is right. See, the more we learn about God, the more susceptible we are to feeling more guilty. Because then the closer we get to God, the more flaws we see in ourselves. But God doesn't draw us closer to Him to show us the flaws and end there. He shows us the flaws so that we know what He can do in our lives. Because we see the flaws, but then when we get closer to Him, we start seeing, wait a minute, this is not me anymore. Lord, I see that, but I see who you're making me to be. Therefore, I have hope. Therefore, I lay aside any sin, any encumbrance that so easily entangles me. And we should let that guilt draw us closer to God by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that deep-hearted conviction. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. It's that conviction to bring to the light, to expose to find fault, not to find it, but so that he can do something with it. It's to bring to the light. It's so that he can correct us. And when we let him do that, then the guilt that we try to carry around, oh, we understand that, wait a minute, I, c- I can live a lifestyle that's pleasing to him without this guilt. I don't need that. I don't need to carry it around. Why? Because he paid for it at the cross. Now, sometimes even some experts that are non-Christians, but they're experts in psychology, they'll say, you know what? If you just believe in a God, even if he doesn't exist, they say, even if you just believe, just the fact that you believe will help you to get rid of guilt and shame. And you know, for some people, that works. Because they believe in their mind of a God even if they feel he doesn't exist, just for them to almost like trick their mind. Now, that may get rid of the guilt and shame, but it doesn't pay for the penalty of sin. Who's going to pay for the penalty of it? Because even though I may not feel guilty anymore, I don't feel shame anymore, I still feel the repercussions of the sin that took place before I felt guilty. Because sin must be paid for. That's why there's sins and then there's weights, encumbrances. See, Jesus is the one that takes care of our sin and heals us from guilt. 
He's able to do that. When Jesus took it upon himself on the cross and paid the price for our guilt and shame, he did that for all of us. Not for those who look like nothing is going on. Some will say, you know what, just don't feel guilty. Whatever you do, just go for it and just don't feel guilty. Just erase it. And for some, we're able to sear our conscience. And then we say, I just don't feel guilty. I just do whatever I'm going to do and that's, that's what it is. And I just don't feel guilty. Listen, you know how dangerous that is? Because if you don't feel a sense of guilt from something that we do that is immoral, not right with God, and if we don't feel that sense of pain or guilt, something's wrong up here. If we've turned that off, that's dangerous. You know, in the Bible, when we read about the lepers and them experiencing this decay of their flesh, for many of them, because they would lose feeling, it would actually be a hindrance. They wouldn't know if they had a cut. They wouldn't know if they got burnt. So it would cause an infection and eventually decay, cause gangrene, and their bodies start to decay and fall apart. Pain can be a good thing. But that's the kind of pain that should draw us closer to God, not phantom pain that doesn't exist which is guilt and shame that we've already given to Jesus Christ. See, for some of us, because we know God, we know Jesus Christ, we can give Him our guilt and shame. But for many of us, we have yet to come to Jesus Christ. And we think we can carry around this guilt and shame thinking we'll be okay. When I was coming to church, I remember learning about you know, doing things that are according to the will of God and doing things that are right. And then, after a while, I started to almost become like hypocritical. You know, I would learn about God and then I would go to my family members and say, Oh, you guys shouldn't be doing that anymore. Why? Because that's not good with God. You guys are going hell. What do you mean? I'm, I'm a good person. I say, yeah, but that's, you know, that's up to you. You like burn up. That's on you. And that's what I would say. And, and, but they didn't understand. And after a while, I started to get a critical eye. You know, I started to look for fault in people. And then like, oh, you know, so-and-so, oh man, they shouldn't be doing that. Or, oh boy, they say they're a Christian and they're doing this. And then after a while, it's like, ah, oh, you don't want to go to church. Why? Because it's full of hypocrites. But this is what I've learned. That we're all hypocrites in transition. To some extent, we're imperfect people trying to serve a perfect God. That's why I'm so glad that the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Once I understood that, it took away my hypocritical way of thinking. It took away of looking at Christians as hypocritical. Why? Because I'm no longer focused on people. And I'm focused on the Lord. Now here's the challenge. I could no longer use that as an excuse not to come to church. Because I no longer am focused on people. I'm focusing on Jesus. And Jesus is not one bit hypocritical. So that excuse was gone. And I thought, wait a minute, Lord, if, if you're perfect, and now you have forgiven me of my sins, then because of you, I stand guilt-free before a perfect God because you paid the price for my sin. And once I understood that, I, I, I understood that, wait a minute, then now I can live in such a way that it honors you. 
Otherwise, if not, then I, I'll, I'll look for fault in people. It reminds me of the story of the town gossip. The town gossip woman who, or man, could be man, but in this story, I'm just using it as a woman. And in this story, she's the town gossip, inviting her friend over for some tea. And they're sitting there, and, and she's looking out her window. And through her window, she sees her neighbor hanging the laundry. And she says, you know, her laundry is dirty. And I can imagine if, if her laundry is that dirty after she cleaned it, how her house must be. Her house must be filthy. It must be dirty. Poor woman, poor husband. How ungrateful. How ungrateful is she? She should at least keep her laundry clean. And the other woman is looking through the window and she goes, Oh, oh dear, it's, it's not the laundry, it's your windows that are dirty. <laughs> oh, and I read that and I thought, boy, that's my perspective sometimes. I'm looking at someone else's life and because of my own guilt and shame, I think it's them. But there's something in me that dirties my perspective. And the Lord says, let me clean that. Let me wipe it clean so that you can live for me and live in such a way that it honors Him. And not so that it's a prideful thing or that we say, look at me, I'm a Christian. I'm living for God now and and hallelujah and, and woe to you, poor you, your sinners. It's not like that. He says, live in this way in 1 Peter 3.16. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. You see, it's not so that we, we, we hear what people say and then we've got to keep defending ourselves and say, no, 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 you know, that's not me anymore. You know, no, I didn't do that. No, I didn't. It's, he's saying, no, you just live your life in such a way that even if they speak evil against you, you're okay. Your conscience is clear. And you can, by your lifestyle, quiet those that say evil things against you. You just live your life. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to carry the baggage of trying to defend yourself of your own guilt. You're saying, no, Lord, you know, I gave that to you. I, that's no longer me. But I want to live my life for you. And even then we might think, well, what if I've done something that's not pleasing to God? And I know God. And I've given Him my guilt. I still make mistakes. I still do things that aren't pleasing to God. There's a second thing. And, and for all of us, to repent. And that's the word you want to write in there. Repent. You want to Repent. See, that one word, repentance, is only available because of what Jesus has done. See, repentance is the change of the mind, but heading in God's direction now. If Jesus did not pay the price for our sins, if He didn't die on the cross for us, how could we repent? We could change our mind, and that's what repent means. But then where do we go after that? What do we do? When Peter, the apostle, preached his sermon... The Bible says that the people were cut to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. They were convicted in their hearts. But then they didn't stop there. They, they felt that deep conviction. And then they said, they said to Peter, Okay, now what must we do? Where do we go from here, Peter? I don't know what to do. And this is Peter's response in Acts 2.38. 
Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for many of us, you've already... Uh, you've already said, I'm going to be water baptized today. No one's going to deter me. I'm steadfast, and I'm going to be baptized today. Your car might break down, but you'll find a way there. You might not have a ride. You'll call somebody. You have determined to be baptized. Why? Because you understand the heart of repentance. See, when we said yes to Jesus Christ, there was a spiritual a spiritual metamorphosis, transformation that took place, a spiritual change And you felt all that weight off of your shoulders. It was a private confession with God. Now you're saying publicly to everyone, I am choosing to follow Jesus Christ. But here's what's neat about water baptism. Is even though there's a spiritual thing that happens, there's also a physical thing that takes place. When you go under the water and then you come back up, your brain recognizes that there was a guilt memory there. But a physical thing takes place even in the brain. Because a physical thing of water washes you. So there's a spiritual washing, yes, but there's also a physical thing that takes place. It's almost like you're renewing your mind, as the Bible says. And when you go under the water, you're saying, Lord, wash me clean. And then something changes on the inside. I'm not no brain specialist, but something probably happens in your, in your hypothalamus. I don't know what they are, hippocampus. Somewhere in there. All you brain specialists can correct me later. But something changes. And for those who were water baptized, you understand. There's a change that happens. And so now, for those of us who said, yes, and we were water baptized, we come and cheer on those that are going to get baptized. And we'll be down there at Coconut Island. So if you said yes to Jesus Christ... You qualify for water baptism. Because now you're letting everybody know, I'm going to be baptized. And what Jesus does is, is He'll use even all the junk inside of us to glorify Him. Because there's going to be people down there that are cheer you on, that know you from our old, that know you from your old days, or even know you now, but they're going to cheer you on because as the body of Christ, we encourage each other. And the Bible says that's a part of when you repent. There's a lifestyle of change. Don't let the devil use guilt to push us away from God. And and you feel that, oh, I'm not worthy to go into the water. Part of that is true. We're not worthy, but he is. So because we want to glorify him, we say, I'm going to be baptized. Why? Because I'm going to glorify you. You spoke to me. I heard your voice. I'm going to listen to your voice. I'm going to repent. I'm going to be water baptized. Then, as the Bible says in 1 John 3, 20 and 21, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, how can we come to God with bold confidence? Yeah, but I I still can't change. I can't change the way I think. I, I have a hard time with repenting. I can't change that. I can't just stop on a dime and change the way I think. Yes, you can. We do it all the time. You're gossiping about someone, and then you're saying, yeah, so-and-so does this, does that. And then when they walk into the room, the person you're gossiping about, you say, oh, yeah, and when my car broke down, I was thinking, who's going to fix it? Who's going to fix my car? And the person that you're gossiping about says, oh, what are you guys talking about? Oh, my car. 
my car is broken and I got to fix it again. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, but you know, I got to fix it. Oh, why not tell me it was walking in? I never know it was here. And, but we change just like that. It, 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 we reverse it so quick. And God says, now, because you have that capacity, the capability to do that, use it for repentance. Do you know who gave us that quick way to think and change? Not street smarts, eh, maybe a little bit, but it's more how God wired us up for repentance. That's what he wired us up for. That we could change the way we think on a dime and say, nope, that's not for me. Nope, I'm not guilty anymore. It's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. I'm done. I changed the way I think. I'm going to move in the direction that you called me to move. 1 John 1, 9 tells us, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every single bit. Even the parts we don't know were unrighteous. We say, Lord, everything that is in me that's not of you, get rid of more God, less me. And I think of repentance of of that change of the mind where it now gives us life. Guilt, I think of it like a guilt guillotine. That, that guillotine that, of guilt that constantly hangs over our life. Then one day, destroys our life. That's what that guilt guillotine does. Jesus has come to give us life and life more abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the devil comes to do. I'm going to walk away from that guilt guillotine and say, Lord, you've given me life. That's the life I want to live. More you, less of me. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to walk defeated anymore. See, being defeated is often a temporary condition. Giving up makes it permanent. We're not guilty anymore because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, we can run this race with endurance. Remember the adulterous woman that was brought to Jesus, that that she sinned and she was caught in the very act of adultery. Here comes the the religious leaders, those that wanted to stone her to death. They brought their stones and, and they lined up and they said, Jesus, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery and the law says... That if she has committed adultery, which she has, we have proof, she is caught in the very act, that she must be stoned to death. Jesus, what do you say as they're holding the stones, knowing that Jesus was a righteous man, knowing that he was following the ways of God, they're trying to find a trap for Jesus. Now the Bible says that Jesus, he, he knelt down, he stooped down, he sat down, and he started to write in the sand, in the dust, in the dirt. Now, I don't know what he wrote. They didn't record it in the Bible, and there's many speculations. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering if Jesus wrote down the law. You know, if any woman commits adultery, she must be stoned to death. And I'm wondering the faces of those which carry the stones, that they're looking at Jesus writing the law, and they're saying, that's right, it is written. That's right. And they're hanging on to their, their stones. And then Jesus stands up and he says, you know, you're right. You're right. And watch this 
unbelievable wisdom and heart and compassion of Jesus Christ. He says, so whoever of you who has no sin, cast the first stone. And I can imagine all of them standing with with their baggage, with their baggage, all of them standing there with their guilt. And when Jesus says, you know, whoever is without shame, without guilt, without sin, without any of that, you go ahead. Jesus is not addressing the woman. You know what he's saying to them? I love you in your guilt. This guilty person that you brought was only a way for me to speak to you in your own guilt. You have a way, you have have an option, you have a choice now. Either you're going to let me take care of your guilt, or you're going to carry it with you for the rest of your life, and you're going to do the very same thing that you've done with this woman with somebody else. It's your choice. I don't know what took place in their lives, but all I know is then Jesus went to this adulterous woman, and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks up and she says, there are no one. He says, and neither do I condemn you. What words? That's the compassion of Jesus Christ. And we can almost leave there and it would be a great ending. But Jesus, in all of his love, understands that if if there's not a repentive heart, she'll find herself back here again on the street. And Jesus says to her, he says, you know this, this guilt and shame that you're carrying? Let me take that. You go and sin no more. I'll take this from you. And he walks with it. But this is what I appreciate about Jesus Christ. He doesn't show it back to us. You ever realize that? That the voice of the Lord never brings up our past. It's not him. If that voice ever comes back, it's not the Lord. Because he paid for it on the cross. Let him take it. Let him deal with it. But not only that, with this woman, he filled her with his spirit. And for us, number three, write this in. Refill my life with his spirit. Refill my life with his spirit. It must be his spirit. More God, less me. He begins to heal me from my guilt. Matthew twelve forty three through 45 It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So it shall also be with this wicked generation. You know what Jesus is addressing here? He's saying, yes, I can clean. I can clean house. But you must fill it back up with my spirit. Don't leave it empty. Because what will tend to happen is we'll say, Lord, forgive me. He says, I forgive you. Lord, wash me clean. I'll wash you clean. And now we have a sign that says, vacant. Open for business. Free for guilt. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You replace it with my spirit. You replace it with saying, I am set free. I am, I am a believer. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's like the, the spirit of God now dwells in us. When I first was trying to get rid of all my thoughts and the, the, the things that were evil or against God, all those thoughts that would come in, I would say, Lord, I can't get rid of them. 
He says, memorize my word. Start getting scripture into your mind. You got to replace it with something because I'm cleaning out your mind, but you got to replace it. Otherwise, those spirits will come back in and it'll be worse than the original condition. So fill it with my spirit. Fill it with my word. Memorize my word. One at a time. Memorize it. But it's too long, Lord. I can't. Start with John 13, 35. I think it. Jesus wept. What is John 13, 35? Jesus wept. He cried. Why? Because one of his great friends, good friends, passed away that he brought back to life. Lazarus. Jesus wept. I started with that. And I was like, Lord, I memorized the scripture. Yeah, Jesus wept. And then from there, went more words and more words and more words. Hey, you just memorized a scripture in like two seconds. John 13, 35, what does it say? You guys are amazing. See how powerful the brain is? You're awesome. You can memorize scripture that quick. But refill our lives with His Spirit. See, this is what God was doing in Jesus Christ at the cross in 2 Corinthians 5.19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That He drew us back to Himself. Yeah, but what about my sins? Oh, what do I do with that? Because, because then, then, then if Jesus takes that away, where does it go? God has to remember it, right? God, I mean, somebody got... That's not what Jeremiah says, the prophet, Jeremiah 31, 34. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. That's a promise from God. That should encourage us to want to live a life that honors Him as well as not given to the enemy who constantly accuses us before God. Leaving us to deal with phantom pain of guilt. There's a preacher who was telling a story of, of how the devil shows up with this long scroll of, of his sins. And there's just a ton of sins because preachers are sinners too. Just wanted to let you know that. And so here's this long list of sins. And the devil shows up and he says, Hey preacher, look at all of these sins. He says, this is your sins. Well, this preacher looks at it and he says, well, I have no hope. He says, yeah, you're doomed. Might as well give up. And the preacher turns and walks, but just before he notices that the devil is covering something at the top. And he says, hey, can you, can you remove your hand? Because I see some words under there. What's, what's that? And he says, don't look at the words. Look at this long list of sins. Focus on that. And he says, no, no, no. I, I command you in the name of Jesus to remove your hand. And the devil has to. And it says, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? And we can have a whole list of sins, but because of Jesus Christ, it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the confidence that we have in Him. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And let's read this part together. Ready? Go. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's read it again with a little bit more spirit in there. Ready? Go. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. When the reminder of sin comes up, and we think about our past and the guilt, we can say, I'm not guilty anymore. 
I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he despised the shame so you and I wouldn't have to feel it. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you've given us a way to be healed from guilt. To be healed from our past and to be healed from the things that have have ruined lives. You've given us a brand new start. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that they're searching for you, but they've never given their hearts to you. And they've been carrying around guilt, but they've been trying to get rid of it, but it keeps showing up. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, I'm going to say a prayer. And the Lord hears you. He's the God who hears. And although I'll say the prayer you had in your heart and your spirit, because God hears you. You can say it out loud if you need to. But God hears you. And here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me brand new. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again to give me eternal life. Thank you. Make me into the person that you created me to be. More of you and less of me. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer, I want to pray with you. Could you just lift a hand real quick? And and I just want to pray God's blessing over you. Good. In the back, God bless you. God sees your hand. He sees your heart. God bless you. Anybody else? You just said yes to Jesus. Good. Right here. God bless you. God bless you on here, this side. God bless you. God sees your hand. He sees your hand. God sees your hand back there, back there. A couple back there. Lord sees your hands back there. Lord sees your hand. Hold it up. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray over those that just said yes to you. And they're not guilty anymore. I pray that as they walk this life with you, that they will always remember that you will carry the baggage for us because you can take care of it. And so I pray that as they leave here today, they won't leave remembering this service, this time together. And although that's okay, but that they would take with them your spirit. That they will remember that it's not a place they go to. It's not a church they go to. It's something that they are. And they're forgiven in your name. Lord, for many of us, we've been walking with you for a while. And we're reminded today of of how good you are to us. You've washed us clean. You've taken away the guilt and shame. So let us run this race with endurance, the race that is set before us. Being people who please you. And so we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen.